we're talking about the effects of the commodity crash on this energy edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fools. I am Sean Riley here at Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. It is Thursday, October 22nd, 2015, and joining me are the coolest cats in town, Tyler Crow and Taylor Muckerman. How's it going, guys? Going Not pretty too good, bad. Man. I don't know how I like being called a cat, but at least it says cool in front of it. You're the coolest cat, man. Right, right, I, I like know. how you threw out October 22nd. We should uh, let everybody know. We are pre-recording this. Uh, <laughs> you just had to go full come disclosure on, come on, on full us. full disclosure. Let's be fair to everybody, because who knows what, what might happen next it's week. It's October 22nd to them. To them, yes. Uh, but <laughs> since Sean and I will be in Houston next week doing some interviews with uh, company executives. Or, or are you currently in Houston? Or are we doing it right now, yeah. we got to go back to the future. <laughs> so, um, pre-recording, so... If anything happens between last Thursday and what you're hearing today, sorry. We, that is why. You'll, you'll hear about it next week. Uh, so, guys, we talk a lot about how oil prices have crashed over the last year, but really the carnage in the commodity sector hasn't been limited to the black gold. The S&P GSCI Commodity Index is down 18% over the past year. Copper is down 24%. Iron ore has been in a perennial bear market for five years and is down 30% year-to-date, over the last 12 months, I should say. Um, needless to say, it's kind of been rough if you deal in commodities. Um, this leads us to our first story. Um, analysis put up by Bank of America says global financial firms have over $100 billion of exposure to commodities giant Glencore PLC. Bank tre- uh, stress tests aside, do foolish investors need to worry about the very solvency of entity com- any commodity-based stocks in their portfolios? Or is this just kind of... Uh, uh, just part of the negatively skewed cycle that we're witnessing is just part of being a producer. That's a tough call, man. That's a, that's I a mean, really loaded question. Um, from a finance, from a bank's perspective, I don't know. Yeah, there's probably going to be a bank or two that's in trouble. <clears throat> I think that some of the banks made the right, apparently made the right move within the last couple of years. I know, like Goldman Sachs got rid of its. It's a lot of its commodity arms where they actually physically own mines. Which you they stopped really... that years ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and other banks have kind of followed suit. I don't know the exact names. I just remember reading headlines over the last couple of years. Of yeah, there was banks also are... some, like, some weird sort of thing where they owned businesses that traded commodities, but yeah. at the same time they own the commodities, and there was like or that sh- Or short the commodities yeah, and put out so negative notes. It's like, oh, well, it's going to be undersupplied, but it just happens to have that they have a very large buildup of inventory at their companies. <laughs> and so they're holding on to it to yeah. drive the price up. Uh, um, so I think from that perspective, I think we're kind of safe. But I don't know about the loan exposure that these banks have. Well, yeah, have, and that's but... not to say that it's going to be like a 2008-2009 financial crisis. No, not at all. The, the commodities industry is not nearly as big as housing in America. Yeah. But um, $100 billion in Glencore alone, they got to yeah. roll over all this debt and stuff. Well, I mean, when you consider the size of Glencore compared to anyone else, uh, you're not going to see anyone even close to the to that kind yeah. of market dominance in this, in this sector. Um, but we talked about... The companies that produce mining equipment, Caterpillar, seems like they lay off thousands to ten thousands of people almost seemingly on a quarterly basis over the last couple of years. Yeah, and they, what was it? I think a couple of weeks ago they just revised down their guidance a little Again, bit. Yeah, Again, yeah, yeah. So, and that's been happening for great. a couple of years. Um, that stock has just been cratering even before you saw a lot of this mining, uh, the, the commodity slides take place. So it was almost like a predecessor to the slide, and it's just continuing right along with it. Um, and then Joy Global is another big name. In Sacrificer Canada, we recommend a company called Finning, which is a retailer of Caterpillar equipment in Canada. Hasn't been quite as hard, but, um, you know, we've been Have keeping their inventory close numbers eye. been creeping up at all? <laughs> no, actually, they've been controlling that. They got ahead of it, I think. So they've been doing a good job. But, um, 
there there is some backlash in terms of equipment producers that we can speak of. Assuming that human civilization doesn't collapse, isn't this kind of the time to be looking at some of these names, though? Well, you definitely want to take a look. Cycle, so but I am maybe it's not the bottom, though. <laughs> I'm always against, not always, but 95 percent of the time against miners. Okay, it's just tough. It's a commodity, and right? You can't it's have tough. any advantage, you know. I don't own any oil producers. I don't own any natural gas producers. I don't own any miners. Uh, it's just I'm I don't study the individual commodities enough to know what's going to happen to the prices. And so, yes, I do own energy companies, which obviously are tied to commodity prices, but they're not a hundred percent directly linked to the price of oil and natural gas. Got it. Tyler, why do you own commodity stocks? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. Really I'm kidding. Me I'm on, kidding. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I, I have no thoughts that I'm a you know a, a Nostradamus when it comes to commodity prices in any way. So I know in, you have a hidden in, crystal ball. In in terms of where they're going to go, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. The, the thing that matters to me when buying a, a producer is I'm looking for the companies that can sustainably generate cash over the long term throughout the cycle. You know, if you look at somebody like an ExxonMobil or a, a Royal Dutch Shell, somebody like that, yes, they are tied to production directly through their production, but they also have other assets that helps to offset that. And if you look at some of those assets to offset it, you know, refining and stuff like that, those are very cash-heavy uh, investments that once you build out the, the facility, you know, your maintenance capital is not a huge deal. And it will generate a lot of cash for you over the long term. And so having those sort of things to offset that production is, uh, to me, is something very valuable to have. And, you know, just like in any other space, you can look at, you know, retail, you can look in tech. There are companies that do well throughout the cycle and or, you know, throughout the entire business because they are a better run company. And if you can look for the best run companies within commodities, the same thing happens. They are able to weather these storms. Yeah, I might see some large declines in my portfolio because of what's happening as of late, but I'm okay with that as long as the business is still intact and doing what it has done for many years. Cool. Well, before we move on, I wanted to point our listeners to the newly redesigned Focus.Fool.com. There you'll discover a special offer to join the Motley Fool's Stock Advisor newsletter for all industry-focused listeners. All Loyal IF listeners have access to a special discount on Stock Advisor that works out to $129 for a full two-year subscription. Just go to Focus.Fool.com to take advantage of this offer. Once again, that is Focus.Fool.com. And uh, I'm here with Tyler Crow and Taylor Muckerman, and our second story is Petrobras was forced to cancel a $750 million bond issue because of lack of interest. Um, that's not even that much money, is it? Well, for Petrobras, not really. Yeah, no. I mean, this is because, yeah. Anyway, um, if the company can't find enough appetite for $750 million, that does not bode well for a company that needs to refinance over $35 billion in the coming years. Um, is this a harbinger of things to come? I would say so. It's harbor. I mean, it's been happening, right? I mean, we saw for the first time ever, I think, in company history that they didn't bid on an offshore oil block on the coast of Brazil. I mean, they're the who nas- else was there to bid? It's I mean, there were some big names, but they weren't there. Um, and there's, I mean, they've got the currency crisis in in Brazil in the Brazilian real. There's been government scandals left and right. Um, we're, they're still not even sure if the current leader there is going to remain. Um, for very much longer, just due to citizen unrest, um, and it, it just goes back to when you see a state-owned company in a country that doesn't really know how to run a company. 
Yeah, so Tyler, you were talking a little bit earlier about how uh, Petrobras was set up to fail almost from the beginning. What do you mean by that? Oh, uh, maybe. From the beginning, maybe it's not exactly the the right term. In the beginning, one of the things not. when they I, what was it, they IPO they P- IPO'd yeah. maybe a little more than a little more a little less than a decade ago. Yeah, um, you know the idea was they found this massive oil field off the off the offshore. Was it as big as the Guar field in Saudi Arabia? It's, bigger? It, I mean, it's a what was it? I'm not sure it, of the exact size. Multiple but... multiple billions of barrels okay. in the tens of billions of barrels. Probably even boatload of oil. That's boatload of oil, and an ocean load of oil to to you know finance the development of that. It needed a lot of capital, and one of the ways they did that was one of the largest IPOs of all time, and trying to make the bridge this difference between a government, private, government, state owned, offshore, and being a private invested or you know a publicly traded company, and. The the problem was is that there were there were so many regulations or so many stipulations built into how the the company is structured that it makes them it makes it very difficult for them to be successful in the long run. You know, one of the things is was it just that the government wanted their cut? Like, well, what? it has well, a lot. They want the money to stay in Brazil. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they have to sell gasoline at a government subsidized rate. Basically, they're trying to control inflation, so you can only sell gasoline, diesel at certain rates, which. When oil prices are high, that can really Messing cut up. into you, especially yeah. when the fact that you're selling gasoline in Brazilian reals and having to buy it on the open market in U.S. dollars when you have a deflation devaluation of currency in the real, that's a huge deal. Um, they were forced to take outsized stakes in a lot of these projects on those auction blocks that we were just talking about and had to be the operator from all time. So they, had to, they basically had to bid on anything that anybody wanted to bid on and take the operator stake, so they were they had an ex- extreme exposure to that singular area. They were the majority partner. In yeah, had to be yeah. Every project. And yeah. I think it was almost at least a forty percent stake in all of these. That is a ton of capital that you have and to raise. It didn't raise. occur to anybody to be like, "Hey, maybe we should let Exxon take the lead on this, but we'll take forty percent of the profits or something." Like, well, <laughs> and, and they well, also, then they get to mandate where then then Petrobras gets to mandate yeah, where the hiring comes from, where the machinery comes this, from, because. Yeah. They even have to buy all their machinery from Brazilian oh, yeah, companies. Yeah, there's, there's a local content oh, uh, depending on yeah. where it is. Yeah, right, like, right. No, I yeah. think it's onshore. It's really high. It's like 60%, but like the further offshore where it's more technology, they're like, oh, well, only 40% or something yeah. like that. But, so they're having to buy higher-priced, underperforming equipment. Did either of you see these criticisms of Petrobras five years ago, even a few years ago? Because there was a time when the, the stock was kind of a high flyer, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, is it just, you know, we're talking about these problems now that oil prices I mean, it was a high flyer when offshore oil was the, the, new, the new kid yeah. on the block, you know, throwing money around like it's no big deal because they did have so much exposure to it. And now that... Offshore oil is pretty much on the back burner in terms of oil development around the world because it is more expensive. It is longer time to develop. Um, they're in a world yeah. of hurt because of that. I think a lot of people kind of got dollar signs in their eyes. You know, like in, remember in Looney Tunes with like the wolf's <laughs> eyes would yeah. pop out of his head. Was they also giant, <laughs> giant dollar signs came out, and what they saw is they I think overestimated the production growth that they were going to see because they were estimating you know tripling, quadrupling of production to you know blow every super major out of the water in terms of total production and underestimated how much it was going to cost. Were these their estimates or was it Wall Street? I think it was a little bit of mix. A little bit of both. Well, then people thought Brazil was going to be the next big thing when it came to it. Well, yeah, it was was the brick. It was supposed to be one of the great, you know, developing nations. You were talking about the Real. Uh, There was a 
year in the mid 2000s, Buffett actually took a currency, like a forex stake, in the Brazilian real, and he talked about how they had a trade surplus and everything. And yeah. relative to the dollar, it looks good. Yeah, well, so, the last couple of years, and now that we've just been handing money out to the banks, you know, our currency is. Uh, oops. Yeah, you know, That'd everyone be- else. Well, once everyone else started to, to quantitatively ease yeah. their economies too, they devalued their currency, um, and people still have more faith in the dollar. So obviously, yeah, between. One of the things that for Brazil and one of the devaluation of the currency has been such a big deal with them is because so much of their economy has been uh, exports of natural resources. You know, not just oil or anything like that. We're also talking about um, iron ore. Iron ore from that's their big. Yeah, the other partially extremely levered to exporting natural resources to China. And any if you look across, you know. What's been going on in nations that have done that? Indonesia, uh, Brazil, anything like that. Anybody South who has Africa. been, yeah, anybody who has been um, very highly tied to exporting natural resources to China, have seen quite taking it on the chin. Yeah, yeah, quite yeah. hard lately. Very good. Well, moving well, on a more positive note, uh, America's rise to dominance in petrochemical manufacturing in the face of oil lows. Um, this usually translates to robust chemical product profits with oil prices just falling through the roof. Um, in contrast, the Saudi Cayenne Petrochemical just reported a net loss. Um, we're making gobs of money. Dow Chemicals doing great. Um, guys, why are we so awesome? <laughs> American ingenuity and just dumb luck of settling in the right country. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> you could say Wait, it. we're awesome because of dumb luck. Yeah, me, well, America's I mean, awesome. Yeah, well, we pioneered the right country. This is the last country available for pioneering. We found it, We and then we decided but, that, hey, we can we can produce commodities better than pretty much anybody. It just anybody. happens to be sitting on natural gas reserves that are just absolutely immense. Yep. And one of the Tyler things- Tyler Crow, we're the Saudi Arabia of natural gas. Basically. <laughs> basically. And that's actually one of the things that's been so important here. So with uh, a lot of petrochemical manufacturing that happens outside of the United States, uh, places like Saudi Arabia, Saudi Kayan, uh, one of their basic feedstocks is called naphtha. It's a petro- it's a <laughs> it's it's a feedstock that's based from oil. Versus in the United States, we use ethane, which is based on natural gas. And if you look at the, I guess you could say the crack spreads or the are we arbitraging with natural gas? <laughs> yes, yes, we are. Um, the cost for natural gas in the United States is why well, it's less three than bucks it's less sales. than three dollars okay. yeah. per thousand cubic feet right now. And so the re. Ethane is one of the, I guess, you could, I think it's a reject product from that, and it's just dirt cheap right now in the United States uh, compared to the derivatives that you would use for oil to make those same products. So you have that going for us. You have the fact that you know, investment is much easier here because you know you don't have those state-run sort of issues that you may get in other areas. And We get stuff done. Yeah, within the next yeah, two or three do. years, we're going to have 8.2 million tons per year of new chemical manufacturing based solely on this cheap feedstock that we have coming online. You add that, and also one of the reasons we've been able to undercut is we can export a lot of that cheap petrochemical manufactured feedstock. Um, Enterprise Products Partners alone. Uh, this is one of the companies. That's Here like, we go. He's plugging Enterprise. I'm just kidding. No, I'm t- I just want to give it. This is actually just a, a state of fact. There, yeah, it does have a little fun fact. No, I know. Enterprise Products Partner is a major exporter of ethane as well as propane, and it today it exports more of those from the United States just as that one company alone than the largest co- country out there. I believe the second largest is Qatar, and 
we enterprise alone exports more than the entire country of Qatar. And I believe the U.S. right now is more than the next five nations combined in terms of total exports. So we get stuff done and we're enormous. We don't only have the <laughs> largest military in the world by leaps and bounds. We also export the don't, most natural gas liquids. America. 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 Um, are there any... Uh, invest in uh, us. Invest in... Oh, God. <laughs> is that like a... Oh, man. It's a great tagline. Yeah, it is. Do we say that at the UN? Or where, where would we know, say that? I don't know, but uh, <laughs> we're saying it on, mock, on Investor Focus. That's why we're saying it. Um, right, before we head out of here, are there any um, petrochemical stocks besides enterprise products that we, you guys like right now? Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of competition out there. Um, I think you look at the pipelines that are shipping it to the Gulf to all these refiners, um, and then somebody mentioned Dow Chemicals. I did. Um, yeah, I mean, between them and Dupont, those two companies are producing things that are used in pretty much in every yeah. every reach of every industry around the world. Um, if you pick something up in a supermarket, chances are something that one of those t- companies produced was used to make the packaging. Um, so I think cheap natural feedstocks will benefit them. DuPont's in a little bit of a different space, place right now because CEO just left. Activist investors want to split the company up. Um, but, I mean, Dow Chemical will certainly be a company that I would look at if you want to take advantage of scale and cheap, cheap natural gas liquids. I think one that's going to come up pretty fast in the next couple of years because of some large investments is one that's called uh, CP Chem. It's, I mean... It, you can't invest directly in it, which I know it sounds kind of bad. Why are we talking CP about Chem is, uh, it's <laughs> Philips Chevron's. They have done a Philips 66 and Chevron have built a joint venture where they have taken. They're totally going to spin this off. They have taken their entire yeah. chemical Probably. manufacturing facilities, you know, pooled their resources on those two ends and said, this is our chemical manufacturing arm. And those two companies combined have been pouring a lot of money into new facilities that, like we were saying, that 8.2 million tons per year, a lot of that is going to be coming through CP Chem, and you know there is a lot of potential there for some some big growth that could actually, you know, move the needle a little bit for companies like Philips sixty six and Chevron, which that's not an easy thing to do. And if sure. maybe a possible deep value play, Huntsman Chem, Huntsman Corporation just took a huge hit in the market last week, I believe, early last week. Bounced back a little bit from it, but I mean they were down over twenty percent in a day. Wow! Um, and they're, were the earnings that bad? Uh, I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was just a forecast. So. Um, I'm not saying I'm going to buy it or you should buy it, but if you want to go do a little do bit I more research, do I need res- to add to the disclaimer? If you want to go do a little <laughs> bit more research, they they sold off heavily and they're right along the same path, not nearly as big as Dow Chemical, but they make a lot of what you use. Cool. Well, thanks for your thoughts, guys. Have a good one. Yep. Thanks. If you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that is industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about. The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Tyler Crow and Taylor Markerman, I am Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! <laughs>